0: You may be seated. Great words put to music for us as God's people. We turn in God's word tonight to the book of First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. We are up to the second to the last of the chapters in the Westminster Confession of Faith. The last chapter... Lord willing, next Lord's Day, deals with the last judgment. This chapter uh, in the Westminster deals with what happens to us after we die. What happens to us as believers? What happens to unbelievers after they die? This is a time of year in which a lot of people seek to make a mockery of death oh it's just fun and games yeah we'll make people with distorted faces and you know that that's what happens when they die as if it's some sort of mockery as if the reality and the horror of what actually happens to a body after death can somehow be avoided by fun and games Or we'll just scare people with it so that they'll know, well, you see, it's not really real. It's just all pretend. And then maybe this whole thing of death is just a a big facade and nothing really bad ever happens after you die. It's just kind of a fun and games sort of thing. I think you see that as a growing trend in our society around us. But there's another growing trend. And that's to avoid death altogether. I was reading an article earlier this week because something came up on news about it of cryonics. How many of you know what cryonics is? Oh, quite a few of you. Well, I would say maybe that's good, but maybe that isn't so good that you know about it. But for those of you who don't, cryonics is when uh, it's the act of freezing someone who has been declared legally dead. And the idea is they're going to keep you frozen until science comes up with some sort of solution to whatever it is that brought about your death. Maybe it was a certain type of cancer, and so they're going to keep you frozen until they come up with a solution to that. And then they're going to unfreeze you and administer it, and we'll see how that goes. Perhaps the most famous of folks that's frozen is a guy by the name of Ted Williams, major baseball star for many of you when you were growing up. There are approximately at this point in time 350 people who are frozen in such a state at three different locations in the world. One of which is in Russia, one of which is in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the other one is near Mount Clemens, Michigan. That cost you big bucks. Okay, you and I as probably average folks are never going to be able to afford to do this, but it's an attempt, you see, to not let death happen. It's an attempt, it's, it's perhaps the extreme measure that folks are willing to go to in order to prevent death from happening. So we have two extremes. We have those on one side who are doing everything they can, throwing big bucks into some sort of hope that maybe someday some solution will come up and they can unfreeze me and and they'll administer this and and I won't die. Until I, of course, catch something else and, and then it all starts all over again. I'm not sure they've thought that through yet. On the other hand, we have people who play fun and games with it. Who don't take death seriously at all. And the question is, where do we fall? Where where are we going to fall in the midst of this? And I find it rather interesting that the writers of the Westminster Confession include within the document on various doctrines and teachings a statement or a series of statements dealing with what happens to us after death. And of course it was a burning issue. It was an important issue. They're in the midst of a civil war as this is being written. Uh, They've come through a plague in which multiple, multiple folks have died. And so there is indeed a question. What happens to people when they die? What happens to us? And we certainly don't want to tell our children lies. We don't want to fabricate untruths. Oh, grandpa's up in heaven fishing. Or grandma's watching down upon you right now. She's watching what you're doing. She's not missing your graduation, you see. She, she's watching everything that's happened. All of which is not true. And yet, you see, even we sometimes try to lighten the realities of death. By going beyond what scripture says. So tonight we turn to God's word. You're there by now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the first part of this. Paul deals with Christ's resurrection. And the reality of Christ's resurrection. And the importance of Christ's resurrection. But then he speaks about the resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 12. We're going to read to verse 34 as our scripture reading, but I want you to keep it open because we're going to go on beyond verse 34 later in the message. So, 12 through 34. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all pitied most to be pitied. Do you know why he says that? Because if the Christian life ends at death, why would anybody live the Christian life? That would be a foolish thing to do. It'd be foolish to live as a Christian, deny yourself all these pleasures of the world, only to have it just end at death. What Paul is saying is, you might as well live as a heathen then. might as well live as a heathen and get enjoyment out of this life rather than a life of self-denial. We are, of all people, most to be pitied. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you. In which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some has no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. As far as the reading of God's word, let's bow in prayer before it. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, um, all of your word you have breathed. And we just thank you and praise you for it. And we just um, thank you for this portion of scripture, Father, where we, um, we contemplate that you have created us body and soul for your glory. And that you have our eternity in your hands and dear Lord, there is great comfort in this. We pray that you will be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word. Open our minds and our hearts that we will not leave this place unchanged, but Father, be further equipped as, uh, as instruments uh, of your glory. All of this in the precious name of Jesus our Savior, Alone, we pray. Amen. And amen. So three things in regards to this subject matter tonight. First of all, the separation that occurs. Secondly, the resurrection that is to come. Thirdly, the glory that will be experienced. The separation that occurs, the resurrection that is to come, and the glory that will be experienced. So what is the separation that occurs? Well, it occurs at death. This is what the Westminster Confession is dealing with. It's telling us what happens to human beings at death. At death, there is a separation that occurs. That separation is between our body and our soul. Now you'll note that the, the reason I chose 480, I have no other comfort, is because two times in that hymn, okay, body and soul are referenced. This is who we believe that we are as human beings, as God has created us. We are created with a body and we are created with a soul. Every single one of us here tonight has those two things. As a living, breathing human being here today, you possess a body and you possess a soul. At death, those two things Are separated. Those two things are forced apart. That's indeed, in a sense, what death is. Death is a separation. Death occurs when our body and our soul are separated from one another. That would be the religious terminology of when death occurs. Okay, you have medical terminology, right? You you have all sorts of legal. Ease that determine when death occurs, but for our purposes as believers, the understanding is death occurs when our body and soul are separated. Let me take you to two passages of scripture. Okay, go with me first of all to Philippians chapter one, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter one. Go to verse, it's the end of verse 18, though it's just before verse 19, Philippians 1. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out to my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, if I am to live in my body, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. What is Paul speaking of? He's speaking of the separation that occurs at death. He is looking death in the face in this imprisonment as he's writing to the Philippians. He is expecting the reality of his own death to occur. And he's saying, okay, when that occurs, I will be with the Lord. My body, however, will remain here. There is going to be a separation that occurs. But that separation is not something I'm trying to avoid. That separation I'm not making a joke of. That separation I am rejoicing in because it is far better for me in my soul to be in the presence of Christ than to be here in body and soul. What he is saying is I would rather be separate from my body and to be present with Jesus Christ with just my soul than to live life here with body and soul. But what he's saying to them is, this is not for me to determine. I don't speed up, I don't hurry up the process, I wait for the Lord to do his work. Turn with me as well back to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 8, yes, notice how courage comes in again. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. How can he be at home with the Lord without his body? Because he has a soul. And Paul is saying, I'd rather be with the Lord. I'd rather be with Him. So there is this separation that occurs. For all of us, for every human being, the following occurs. At our death, our soul goes either to glory to be with Christ, or our soul immediately goes to hell. There's no in-between stage. There's no soul sleep. It's not like our soul just quietly goes to sleep and rests until Christ returns and there's a resurrection. Or our, 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 uh, maybe we would say our soul gets frozen okay, in time and, and we just wait. No, there is an immediate. The soul is that aspect of us that never dies. God did not create our soul to ever experience death. It lives. And so at the moment of our body's death, our soul doesn't die. Our soul immediately either goes to be with the Lord in glory If we are a believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or if we have denied that, then we, in our soul, go immediately to hell. What happens to our body? All of us, all of us, believer and unbeliever alike, our body is destroyed. One way or another, whatever way people choose, however their death occurred, whether you go through the, the process that The vast majority of Christians have gone through in their life, which is to be buried like Jesus Christ. The end product's the same. Dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. That's what's going to happen. To believer and unbeliever alike. The body has the same thing happen to it. It is our soul at the moment of our death which is divided. Some to glory with Christ, some to everlasting damnation in hell. And they begin immediately to experience the terror of hell. We can also say that, w- that what's really happening here in this separation between body and soul is the separation between temporary and everlasting. Paul, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, speaks about the fact that we have the treasure uh, of the message of Christ in clay jars. Well, if you understand the nature of a clay jar in Paul's day, it was a temporary thing. You used a clay jar for ordinary things, and sooner or later it's going to break, it's going to crack. And because it's made of clay, you're not going to super glue the thing back together. It's a clay jar. You throw it out on the trash heap. Okay? You get rid of the thing. It's done with, and it begins to crumble up. Paul is saying we have the great message of Christ in earthen jars. His point is that this jar is going to waste away but the treasure okay resides everlastingly within our souls in the next chapter second corinthians chapter five he uses the picture of the fact that our body is but a tent i love this one okay i love this picture because, it, it, you know, you hear tent, you think of camping, and then you think, okay, think of the traditional way this happens, right? You start with a little green pup tent, right? And, and then you get, ah, the green pup tent gets some holes in and so on, so you throw it away and you buy yourself a camper. Crank, 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 right? Argue, fight about getting the sides up and getting the tent out and so on. Then after a while you get rid of that and you go, okay, we need ourselves a travel trailer. Ha, look at that. We don't have to crank anymore and we go down. Oh, then we need our fifth wheel. Then we need our luxury RV, right? Right? Paul says that this body is like a tent. It's going to wear out. It's going to get some holes in. It's going to get frayed. It's weak. Pretty soon the rain starts leaking through. And what do you do with that thing? You throw it away. You get rid of it. You don't go, hey, let's go camping in the old tent again. Your kids look at you like, there's not a chance in the world I'm going back in that tent again. Right? Because your wife long ago threw it out. <laughs> and it's non-existent. <laughs> That's what Paul says. We are. This body is just a tent. It's just temporary. This body is not meant to be permanent. The soul is, not our bodies. And so the the last point on that point one is, is simply this okay? It is temporary. Though, this separation that occurs at death between this body and soul. Is but a temporary one. Paul writes in in Philippians uh, chapter 3, 20 and 21 about the fact that when Christ returns there is a transformation that occurs. A transformation of our mortal body that will become like his glorious body. So this idea that, well, will we forever, to answer the question, so do we forever in heaven as believers only have a soul? The answer is no. There is coming a day when God gives to us a body once again. So let's move on to point number two. The resurrection that is to come. I want to highlight three things. First, this is a new body. It's not a comp- it, it, it's not a new created body, but it is a new body. Paul goes to great emphasis in this next section that I'm going to read to tell us and instruct us how foolish it is for us to think that what is sown, what is buried, The body, the tent, the clay jar, whatever term we use that we put in the ground, how foolish it is for us to think that's the body that's going to get raised. It's not. It's a new body. Because the body that is going to be raised is spiritual. It's not natural. It's not like this one. But it is also an everlasting body. So pick it up with me again at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. okay? And and really Paul's word speaks for itself here on this point. So we're at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? In other words, what is that body that is going to be raised going to be like we know what's sown we know what we bury we know what we put in the ground we know that body we're familiar with it okay we know our body we know what it's like but what is the body that is going to be raised going to be like with what kind of body do they come you foolish person He's already anticipating. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God has chosen, but God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Whatever it is you sow, God gives to it as it rises from the ground its own characteristics. Right? But when you plant grass seed, which I have planted plenty of in the last three weeks, okay, I don't see those little grass seeds coming up from the ground. Thank God I see green sprouts coming up from the ground. And those green sprouts look nothing like the seed I put in the ground. That's what Paul is saying. And what you sow, verse 37, is not the body that is to be. Verse 38, but God has chose, gives it a body as he has chosen. 39, for not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for bird, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. We are going to say, what do you mean by that, Paul? What do you mean, so it is with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. When I die and this body goes in the ground, it's pretty evident that this body can die. Because I'm but a corpse. There's no life in this body at all. It's dead. What is sown is perishable, but is, what is raised is imperishable. So what does an imperishable body look like? I don't know. But I know it's not this body. Because I know this one perishes. I connect enough funerals to know that these human bodies perish. But Paul is telling us point blank, that's not what's coming up from the ground. Not the same old, same old perishable body. We're not going to get another green pup tent. That's not what we're going to get. We're not going to be a clay jar again. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Think of all the weakness of a dead body. It succumbed to perhaps disease. It succumbed to perhaps a heart attack. It succumbed to accident. It succumbed to a bullet wound. It succumbed. It gave in. It had no power to stand against death. But that which is raised is going to be a body of power. It's going to be a body of honor. Not of dishonor, not of weakness, not of frailty, not of sinfulness. Look at how he goes on then to say, it is sown, verse 44, a natural body. This, flesh, bones, blood. It is raised a spiritual body. I think Paul is drawing a contrast. Will it be us? Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be us. But it's not the flesh and blood that we have now, us. It is a glorious, powerful, spiritual body that God is going to raise up from the ground. Just as much as those little green sprouts aren't coming, they aren't coming from corn seed that I planted. They're coming from the grass seed. That wonderful, glorious, raised body is going to come from that which was sown. And as much as that miracle that we see from the seed we plant transforms into the grass that comes up from the ground, think of the miraculous work of God in transforming our lowly body to be like Christ's glorious body. That's the resurrection that is coming. That is the resurrection that we are looking forward to. That is what Paul says is going to happen to us. It's an amazing thing. Because I don't want this old body. (laughs) I know the weakness of this old body. I know the frailty of this old body. I know the sinfulness of this old body. I don't want this, I want that which God is gonna raise up. What does it look like? Will we know each other? Who cares? Who cares? What difference does it make? Why would that matter? Why, Why do we get so consumed? Over questions that are of such secondary, third, fourth, fifth. When the glory is this. You and I as believers in Christ are going to be raised with a glorious body that is like Christ. Oh, will anybody know me? He must increase so that I decrease. What would I care if anybody knows me? What I care about is I'm going to know Christ and Christ is going to know me. What else matters? What else really matters? A glorious, powerful, spiritual body is what God is going to raise up. Body. He's not going to raise another soul. He's going to raise a body for his glory and for his honor. And there is going to be a glorious reunion that takes place between my soul and my body for the glory and the honor of Christ. When does this happen? Paul tells us clearly. Turn with me to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. Well, turning to Second Timothy doesn't help. I'm sorry, it's First Thessalonians chapter 4. If I could read my writing, okay? Verse 13, but we do not want you. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, sorry. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? You believe Jesus died and rose again? Amen? Amen. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. The voice of the archangel with the sound of trumpets and the dead in Christ will rise first. When? When Christ comes. When Christ comes. Paul says there is going to be a glorious resurrection. We're not worried now about the unbeliever. We're we're just looking at at, at what happens for us as believers. the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. My friends, that's not a hope. My friends, that's not speculation. My friends, that's far better than chronotics. And my friends, this is far better than trying to laugh off death. The glorious truth, Christ comes and we have a promise that as believers we will rise. If we have died, by the time Christ comes again, we will rise if we're alive at the time of Christ's coming, we will rise. And in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be transformed. And so we'll be with each other forever. Isn't that wonderful? And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Isn't that wonderful? This is the glorious hope that the Westminster Confession writers wanted to leave as God's truth. How do you deal with death? How do you face death? You face it. You face it, as Paul has said, with courage. You face it with a sense of joy. You face it because you know for sure What is coming that I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for its reminder to us tonight. So often, Lord, we see this subject of death treated so casually, so cavalier. Or we see it, Father, seeking to avoid the subject altogether. But not as Christians. As Christians we look death straight in the face. And we say. Oh death where is your sting? Oh grave where is your victory? Through Christ. We conquer. Through Christ we triumph. Through Christ. We have an assured hope. For all of eternity. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen. Now we sing.